friends. Hi, friends. Uh, sorry, that was like a, a bam. That was. I feel... I, I feel a little attacked. I'm really ready for this. <laughs> sorry, sorry for the uh, the loud noise on the audio here, but um, yeah, it's um, it's an exciting day. It's it's been an exciting month. I meant it was exciting because we have our first guest speaker. We do have our guest first guest speaker, and her story is amazing. She you are a she her right? I am she her. Okay, yes. Just, I think we went over this already. We did when he yes, said it. Nothing's I was like, changed. Okay, I just wanted to make sure. Yes. We gotta Sometimes make sure we, we identify people correctly because yes. that is a thing. It's not a myth. It is truth. It is the truth. But well, um, it's just respectful. And it's, it's respectful. I appreciate it. We, just to make sure. our, our guest is Devin. Devin um, has the one and only. The one and only. She is a unionizer. She is. Um, She's a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. I, I, I would not cross her in a dark alley. <laughs> or in a bright alley. Or a bright alley. <laughs> But uh, yeah, she she is really truly bringing the Utah um, beauty industry together and um, showing a lot of strength in other areas when it comes to equality and um, so much more. But uh, Devin, introduce yourself. What are what are you about? What am I about? What what do you got going on? Well, uh, they call me the hair politician. Just kidding. (laughs) The freelance lobbyist. (laughs) Well, I uh, am a founding member of Utah Beauty Project. We've been working on that for about uh, 18 months now. So it's still kind of in its It's baby stages. It's in its baby stages. We are um, officially a nonprofit, and we are officially out, and it's very exciting. And um, as of now, we're forming our committee base and pulling all of our organizing team together um, to get ready and prepare for the upcoming session that we are so going to So what exactly is the Utah Beauty Project? Let's go over that for a minute. Yeah, Utah Beauty Project is a mission to promote and educate uh, licensed professionals, consumers of the beauty industry, our clients, as well as our elected legislators about the true conditions of our workforces and our schools and in terms of beauty industry you're talking the whole thing right cosmetology aesthetics massage therapy electrology all of it all of it all of it we are all cut from the same cloth and we do not have a common organization that represents us all as of this time right right i just wanted to clarify that because i know a lot of people um see that big divide which we've talked about in the last podcast the big divide between you know cosmetology and aesthetics and you guys are really kind of not necessarily that bridge to gap it but you're showing that we all really are one industry like one doesn't really function as well without the other like and we can work together as a group as long as we're all open to it and being understanding that we're all to quote High School Musical, we're all in this together. All we, in this together. Sorry. We sure are. Yeah. <laughs> it's so true. And to remember that we're cut from the same cloth and to remember that an injury to one is an injury to all. And to remember that um, even though we are an industry made of individuals with their own paths and careers in mind, especially since we're an industry made of independent contractors and small business owners, the thing that we all have in common is actually community, is actually the yes. way that we are a community with our clients, with our coworkers, with our educators, with social media. We are already connected. Right, there's, we, and we should all be working together. 
For the common. The greater com- good. Yeah, for the greater good. The greater good. Um, you know, people don't get some of our stupid references. But you, know, you, you, you know, like, but it's our stupid references. Why? Why? Right, we have, but we're the only ones laughing. Why? Why we have over five thousand downloads and multiple oh. countries across the globe? You know, like I, I feel like our our conversations are just all over the place. And um, but we have we have a main purpose, and that's. Um, you know, to share who we are, you know, like we're trying to reconnect with people and those that want to make a difference. And, um, but yeah, I'm going off tangents once again. Um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, Devin, thank you so much for being here. And, uh, we're excited to see the industry grow and, uh, prosper in a positive light. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's exciting. So what are you guys working on right now? Well, what we're working on right now is preparing for the Salt Lake Beauty Barber Expo that we will have visibility at in October. But we're also working- And that's at the Salt Palace. It is at Salt Palace, yep. And we are working to put together a film project. Which sounds so exciting. Yes, that's all I can say. That's all we can say right now. That's all we can say right now. Stay tuned, it'll be super exciting and we will definitely be boosting that up on the podcast when it comes out or you know we'll let everyone know when it's available oh i'm sure (laughs) it'll be it'll be a big thing we'll do a viewing party yeah that's our idea Mm -hmm. yeah we'd love to i could talk about that all day i know (laughs) (laughs) find a theater to air it and we all go and we wear an outfit and there's a red carpet There's little lashes everywhere from lashing last week. I know. I'm sorry. It's fine. Get used to it. I know. It's like a little, little arachnids. It's lash extension week this week, and so we, they got our, the students got to start early, and so there's cool. little lashes everywhere. I, I didn't even notice. I don't notice little hairs in places. But anymore. you know, we're we're just we're pretty stoked. Um, you know, let's. I'm gonna go ahead and update everyone on what's going on with us. Um, our interest within our academy um, has begun to be a little overwhelming, which is amazing. And the support that the Utah Beauty Project has uh, given has been like, I, I can't even express words on how grateful we are for that. But um, we're trying to do our best when it comes to uh, ruffling as many feathers within the industry as possible in a positive light and um, making sure that education is being treated as education, especially from these school owners, um, is to have that passion behind education. Um, That way, people paying for their future, they're actually getting something out of it, not just these school owners getting a retirement plan. Which is also where Utah Beauty Project kind of comes in because once they become licensed professionals, Having the ability to, or knowing that you have some type of support support and backup is so huge. Like, I don't think people realize that you don't, we don't have to go with this alone. Right. Right. We, we have, we've all been through something and it's nice knowing that there's someone that's got our back, you know, and. Absolutely. And, you know, that's something that we 
have had little bits of a taste through our careers. You know, we've got organizations that exist, you know, that do events and provide us resources and education that we pay to be a part of, you know, and something that we learned as professionals, at least here in Utah, in the circle that I find myself in working in the beauty industry, is that when shit hits the fan, pardon my French, (laughs) when our license is at stake, when our education is at stake, when our livelihoods are at stake, where are these organizations? Are they here? Are there representatives that they are sending to us? Are they sending lobbyists? Are they sending funds for lobbyists? Are they calling our legislators and our representatives to let them know like what what we need (laughs) because that's not what's happening it's been left on our shoulders and it's been left on the shoulders of the people here who have the means to do that and those are not people who have the best interest of the entire beauty industry in mind and then you feel alone and you're like well i guess this is just what it is and then people either just accept mediocrity or accept that like i won't get health insurance or i won't get this i won't get that and just accept it or they just quit Right. And that's not what we want. Right. Exactly. For quality, quality professionals, which, you know, the majority of us are, (laughs) you know. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, a perspective that uh, I think is beneficial for us all to remember is that, yes, we want to to be the best in our field. And yes, we want to have our way set up to be successful. Um, But our education goes further than that because it's about protecting ourselves. And, you know, I've talked to you both about this before, you know, in in the cosmetology industry where I work, you know, I'm a full-time hairdresser, so I do cuts and colors. That's what I do. I specialize in vivid color. So I use a lot of chemicals in my space. And something we do not talk about is that we are at a higher risk for cancer. We're at a higher risk for infertility. And there's actually medical studies that have been done about this. And so not only are we not provided a standard of healthcare in our industry, even from the biggest, baddest bitches in town (laughs) who who have the means to provide those things. Um, Not only are we not being provided health insurance, uh, but we are now expected to be dealing with these long-term health effects that we might have. And that, I didn't even mention, you know, the, the way that it can affect our bodies to labor the way that we do. You know, right. at Carpal Tunnel, already had the surgery. I, I remember I remember when the <laughs> thermal, yep, thermal and chemical, the thermal and chemical straightening product, the, the, the one that we shall not be, that shall not be named, right. had the highest amount of um, formaldehyde in it. <laughs> Right. They're like, and if you're pregnant, like, don't you be in the room. Yeah. So when it first <laughs> came out, sure I was in great ventilation. I was like, I was performing like three or four of these a week. Yeah, same. In, in Houston, <laughs> and I remember walking into the salon and seeing this like room half filled with like haze. Haze, and we walked through that. We breathed through it. No, no ventilation, nothing, and. Now I'm looking back on it, I'm like, holy crap, it's probably why we have a whole, like, ozone layer fault and, oh, yeah. uh, you know, global warming because of the, the, the amount of um, formaldehyde oh, produced on those that services. That is so funny and true. And um, do you all know the, I don't know if they're, they're, do they still do it? I think they do. Clear at the airport where you can pay to get, like, it's not pre-boarding, but you can pay to, like, go real oh, through real quick yes, and I'll put yes. you in the front of the security line. It's like C-L-E-A-R, clear. Yeah. Well, I had that for a couple years um, and 
before the pandemic and the way that they put you at the front of the line is they scan your fingerprint or they scan your retina and your eye and I you start with your fingerprint right um none of my fingerprints ever worked well because you have like, I bleached them off I bleached them off they're gone and they're like um so they'll scan my retina but like I always thought that was super interesting because the two fingers that they do are the two fingers that I use all the time, all the time, to, to you know, just like looking well, at the scalp. Also, that's also, and this is just the esthetician in me that is like, why are y'all not wearing gloves? We wear gloves, okay, but sometimes not always, not all, not always. Well, you have all of your fingertips. It's true. You're not wrong. <laughs> You're not wrong. Because I deal with chemicals too, not in the same extent you guys do. But anytime I do a chemical peel, like the gloves are the first thing that are going on these hands. Oh yeah. Unless I'm peeling my own face and I forget. Oh my god, that was the most funny thing. So Heather Heather ended up doing a chemical peel on herself a while back and she was like, oh, it's fine. We don't have I was already halfway through it and I'd already start like, I'd already, yeah, I was halfway through it and I was like, shit, I forgot gloves. And I was like, well, it's too late now. I might as well just finish. Right. So I finished and like, for the next week and a half, my fingers looked like little old lady fingers. Oh. They were all like, shrivelly and peeling and I mean after they peeled they were softer than a baby's butt. I bet they were like it was great but during that time I was like okay see Heather this is why we wear gloves yeah honestly and so yeah all of these things are real and we deal with them on the regular and so what are we supposed to do about it you know, what did they expect us to do? We're going to organize together. We're going to get an organization put we together. We need to organize together. We, are, we will, and we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we need to look out for each other. Absolutely. Because really, when you're left to just you, right, thinking that you're just completely alone, then that nothing's going to happen, right? right? Nothing's going to change, and I think people need to know that we sh- we've got e- we've got each other's backs. Right. We should have each other's backs. Like, mm-hmm. That's the only way we're going to succeed as an industry and not become deregulated and not become yep. right just a forgotten industry. Because, right. You know, even though during the pandemic, there, I feel like there were so many hairdressers, especially that. I think a lot of people consider necessary workers, essential workers, because it's like people were still on Zoom calls, people were still quote unquote working while it was remote still, but they still had to like show themselves. So they're like, well shit, I gotta get my hair done. Oh yeah. I still gotta do this. Like if this means I have to have a hairdresser come and cut my hair outside in my front yard, then so be it. I mean, I, I was probably busier during the pandemic doing, like, house calls to fix people's hair than I was behind the chair before the pandemic, you yeah. know? And, of course, I, you know, took every precaution necessary, but, you know, like, it was insane. Like, it yeah, was insane. Yeah, haircuts. Yeah, but the, the fact that this industry allows us to do that and still make money is a testament to what this industry is about. Absolutely, and you I think know, it's recession yeah. proof. It's pandemic proof. You know, yeah, we may not have been charging enough money for it for those times because we were actually like, uh, for me, I was trying to like do them a favor, you know, to build that loyalty and all that. But and just to help people. And just to help it was people. It's a shitty time for a lot of people. Oh, absolutely, and you I know? think that the uh, level of depression yeah. and mental health that happened during that time mm-hmm. and still is happening, but. You know, I felt the, 
I felt as though it was my job to lift those people up and make sure that, you know, they're not, you know, going down a downward spiral. Yeah, there's something to be said about during a pandemic, during a government lockdown, industries that we could say are a similar contact base to ours, like the healthcare healthcare industry, most of all. Um, were considered essential employees that were expected to be open. You're, they're not wrong in saying we can live without getting our hair cut. However, right. is it essential for us as the worker to work during that time? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And when we lobbied on the Hill and we tried, and, and California had a really good campaign for the lockdown because they were locked down a lot longer than we right. were here in Utah, right. months um, without a plan in place. You know, that is an example and a testament from our legislators on the view that they have of us working here when they can say we know for a fact that you cut people's hair and you touch their bodies so we're going to say that you need to be home but you're not essential enough and you're also all independent contractors so So... you're gonna maybe not get unemployment but that's okay because aren't you just a bunch of single moms that do hair for fun on the side exactly Um, aren't you just a bunch of isn't it just something that you can learn how to do on YouTube you know it's it's absolutely insulting and that is one of the reasons Utah Beauty Project one of the reasons Utah Beauty Project had such a great heartbeat from the beginning with this movement because is because we can tell. 18 months ago, so right it, after the pen, or like to, it was January 2021, yeah, and, that, so and it began with Senate Bill 87, 87. which was a bill uh, proposed by Senator Curtis Bramble and Candace Perucci, um, which was lobbied for by the Libertas Institute and Connor Boyack to deregulate uh, the cosmetology license to exclude shampooing, conditioning, blow drying, heat styling, updoing, et cetera, from the license. And there was not a proper plan in place to educate people coming into the industry about those things. We're in the middle of a pandemic. We touch people's bodies and a lot a lot of businesses, most of the businesses in this industry offer those services. Right. So if they're not going to have the same required amount of training, what's going to happen? Well, I'll tell you exactly what happened. Um, two weeks after that bill was passed, uh, blow dry bars, in, um, for those who aren't familiar, you just do shampooing Shampooing and conditioning and blow drying um were starting their workers at sometimes five dollars an hour less than they were before so they were pulling in cosmetology students people who had a little experience isn't that interesting they were pulling in other people and they their argument was that we can we have the means to train them we'll train them how to do it to train the single mom who just needs oh yeah but doesn't have the time to go to school to exactly and that's interesting because then they made the hair safety permit because we organized we organized an uproar <laughs> you know we yes. organized a petition that got like 3,000 signatures um, there were a couple school administrators that had put together some lobbyists that were up on the hill we're speaking on our behalf we're having rallies we're spreading the word we made a newsletter and I, mean, I, I, I was there you were with, there with a bullhorn rally yeah about about shampooing who would have thought but it's not about the shampooing i was there to support even though i don't do right i was still there because i've seen firsthand like the education and the amount of work that right goes into the license exactly and so it's like there there's a legit thing like it's not just okay let's just just because you know how to shampoo your own hair it doesn't mean you what are you looking for right exactly 
Yeah. And right. some of the, the ways that the opposition, the way that our legislators that were sponsoring the bill and the way that their lobbyists were talking about us in the press and up on the Hill, they were literally saying things like shampooing hair is a lay person skill. Right. Like they were, they genuinely called us lay people in the news. Which and is- not only that, but they were also um, making a point that uh, we're, we all, as the professionals rallying and putting up a stink in their eyes, were protecting our already inflated regime. Those are the words they chose to say. That's and cool. I was like, yeah, like a $14 an hour after 20 grand of school, dude. Exactly. Like, are you kidding me? What regime? Well, we're yeah, protecting exactly. our clients, we're protecting our bodies, we're protecting right. our craft. I realized that hairdressers, especially cosmetologists, people who are within the hair, can a lot of the times be the first line of defense for right. someone who has melanoma. I just right. went through this melanoma I training. I had the, uh, many clients in this. Yeah, I went. I just recently went through this melanoma training about you know how to have the conversation with your clients and how to detect those things. But because of the education that we got, we understand how to detect if something could be questionable. Right. right? We can't diagnose anything, but we can say, hey, Susie, you know, and say Susie's you might want your to get regular. This spot checked out well, no, because... Susie's your regular, and you're shampooing her hair, or you're cutting, and you're section, you're doing your partings and sections, you know, and you notice a spot, and you're like, that wasn't there last time. Like, have you noticed that before? Oh no, I haven't. You may want to get that checked, just because it's a little bit. It could be worrisome. Right. It could also be nothing. But you may just want to get it checked. And if it wasn't for the cosmetologists or the people who do your hair. Or skincare. Some, or skincare, but... Massage therapy. Any, anybody with the Right. Some of those things may never be found. Right, absolutely. And, like, and I've worked at so many little places. I've been doing hair for eight years, and so I've had all kinds of little jobs. And I can't even tell you how many times I've seen disease on the scalp. Oh, I've seen, sure. we've had to shut the salon down for lice before. We've, I've seen seborrheic dermatitis. I've seen contact dermatitis. I've seen um, ringworm. I've seen fungus growing behind the ear. And just a couple months ago in my own studio, a really good client of mine that I've known for years came in and she had um, like an obvious, cause you know, we scalp analysis, right. everything before we start just making sure everything looks good. And um, she had a really big wound on the back of her head, like an open wound. And I was like, oh, you have a really bad injury back here. And she said, yeah, I have like this itchy mole that I was like, okay, ma'am. <laughs> I love you and you, I will, I can't even touch your hair with my tool right now. Like you have blood on you. You have to go to to the doctor. And she was of course like really nice about it. And I was very apologetic. Of course I didn't charge her for for that. And I sent her on her way and I was like, you let me know when this is healed and, or you have any answers and we'll get you in and we'll get your hair done. Okay. You just let me know. And she called me on the phone like a week later. And it's just always odd when your client calls you on the phone now because all my clients text me and I was like, oh my. And I also knew that there were things going on with her. And so I answered the phone and she said that she just want, this was like a couple months ago, okay? This was like the other day. She's like, I just wanted to thank you. Um, I went, just got out of the dermatologist's appointment and he wanted me to thank you for sending me in because um, they're testing me for melanoma 
I've had it before. It isn't looking good. I'm going to probably have to have surgery there. And it could have caused a lot of issues if you'd colored my hair that day. I was like, you got it. You know, like, of course. a lay person wouldn't be able to. A lay person would know her. And it would have been like, we'll just avoid the area. And you know. We'll just put some Neosporin on it. It'll be fine. Yeah, I just need to make money. Like, I don't care. Um, It doesn't. If she had gone to the blow dry bar. Right. They still would have taken her. Right. Even though they had a permit to do it. They could, yeah, they could have said, they still could have said, like, known, but they also um, don't have the education that we have. That's what it's about. It's about the fact that they have been deprived of that education. They, it, it is education. not their fault. It is not, no, the, and, you know, in our industry, there are people who get down to the grind harder than others, for sure, like every industry. But the thing that we all have in common is we all deserve the opportunity to learn how to keep ourselves safe. And that is beyond an online hair safety permit. It is beyond that. A one hour, yeah. It has to be instructed to you. And you need assignments, and you need a textbook to read, and you need to spend time. You need to see it, you need to... You need to see it. experience it. Right. But, like, when I go through diseases and disorders of the skin with my students, like, Mm -hmm. I'm showing pictures. I'm showing video. Right. I am making sure that they are taking notes on what the symptoms are. Right. What you're looking for, what shapes you're looking for, like right? Because they will see it. They well, will yeah, see and then it. We go into you know the ABCDEs of melanoma, mm-hmm. you know, because we are dealing with the skin, and especially well with our academy, we we also we're not just teaching what textbook disinfection and disease control. We're using. Sedesco. So Sedesco um, sanitation and everything is a international, international level of these precautions that we have to take, and that's why we take it so seriously. Is because you know you can you can transmit so many things just by a comb. Right. And well, but even before that, even without Sedesco, um, if we think back again to the pandemic, and mm-hmm. we're talking about. Um, PPE and all that stuff. That's all stuff that we as an industry were already doing. That's why like when all these things changed, nothing affected us. The masks that we probably should have been wearing already. (laughs) The thing is, as estheticians with certain things, we are wearing masks. That's true. Because Mm -hmm. one, the chemicals, and two, we're dealing with like skin cells flying all over the place. And so, yeah, we wear masks, we wear gloves, we sanitize, we even just the disinfection and sanitation of our Absolutely. tools and implements. Like, we were already so high. That's something that's already literally yep. taught week one right. of school. And so it's like... And it's practiced daily. And it's practiced daily. Right. And so it's like when all of that happened, I was like, oh, we're good. Like, I'm, I already have masks. I already have all my disinfectant. That's hospital-grade disinfectant. You know, my students know how to use it all. They know, you know, all of that stuff. And so it's like, if... If we were lay people, I'm just going to call us stick lay people. Yeah. Stick pose. Stick if we pose. were lay people, we would never have, we would have suffered. We would have. A lot. And granted, there are some of those, you know, kitchen beauticians or whatever who may not follow certain 
things. Right. And maybe they suffered a little bit. Right. But, but maybe as, they deserve access. Right. Yeah. And all, or better education. But education, protection, it, resources. Resources. Right? Yeah. Having a resource, and this brings me back to Utah Beauty Project, like in instances like that, say there's another pandemic, knowing that you have a resource to call and say, hey, I'm not sure I'm doing this correctly. Who can I talk to there? Right. And you guys can sit there and say, oh, hey, we have, we totally have a department that you can talk to about making sure that you, your space is sanitary. Right. And that you're doing everything that you need to. Absolutely. You know, things like that. Because, you know, the, the late person, us trying to call, <laughs> you know, Department of Health or whatever in a time like that is... You're, you're just sitting on hold. Right, absolutely. Right? But you want to make sure that you're doing everything to protect yourself and your clients and your students. You know, in our case, our students and stuff like that. And we just want to make sure that they're as educated as possible. Absolutely. Will I be able to teach them everything that they need to learn or no? No, but they have to have the ability to research. Absolutely. And we're back. Did we play elevator music? I, I can insert play? elevator music or like, you know, waiting room. What's that? What's that classic uh, you're on hold music? Or just the voice. We care about your. Yeah. We care about your questions. <laughs> Please stay on the line and we will be with you shortly. Your estimated wait time is. 463 minutes. <laughs> to request oh a callback. <laughs> That's so I funny. Die. Awful. That's so funny. But no, we're, we're, um, so. Okay, Devin, you have thoughts. Continue let's, your let's, thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, so we have thoughts about, um, we were talking about. Resources. Resources. <laughs> That's right. And we were talking about resources as it relates to. The like education about healthcare and like oh if we need We're just something. professionals, yeah. Any professionals mm-hmm. who need like, hey, I'm just wanting to right. touch up on my whatever services. Do you have any resources for continuing education? Right. Do you Absolutely. Have any for you know, and just and something that ability. Yeah, something that we're missing in our industry is not only access to affordable but access to vetted information yes so you know there's a lot out there you know i have people that i've met who genuinely watch brad mondo as like tips and tricks on Stop. how to do their job it's like the bl uh, the only I mean, name i'll like drop the, in here he's like, the, <laughs> he's like the wikipedia of he's the my pillow guy of the industry yeah yes. yeah and you know like an interesting concept educating people at home how to do their own hair but still you know when you're a professional you, there is better education out is there is he licensed i don't think he's licensed well i am i haven't he's gotta be licensed he is he claims to be I don't know. Was he in California? We should probably check. Probably. The, we should. The, yeah. The, uh, yeah. See if Brad Mondo has his obsession. It's not what it is. Gender binary. Like if I might as well go on in or off of it at all is something that's existed. Might as well. It is. It is public information around making fires in the society and capitalism. Right. That is. That is where 
we cosmetology Americans living in this system, living in the roles that were put in front of us, are too blind to see these other cultures all over the world. Um, Our history, the indigenous history here, all recognize. the gender binary not all i wouldn't i don't want to generalize all but a lot do a lot do and when we're here saying oh this new thing like oh they them it is absolutely valid it is absolutely valid and it's important that us as professionals in the beauty industry recognize that we need to create a space that everyone feels confident in and if we are going to create a space that excludes anyone if we're going to create a space that makes anybody feel like they can't come get their hair cut when i'm a hair cutter a professional haircutter, for that matter, if they feel that they cannot come get their haircut because of price names that I've instituted or services that I specialize in, then I have not done my job as a beauty professional. See, like our, our one of our biggest goals, and I mean it's not even a goal anymore; it's a reality. Like we are a safe space to all in our academy. And as our academy grows and our salons grow, you know, we, we want to provide that safe space for all. And, you know, we, we've been talking over the past, you know, God, how, how long have we been talking? Since 2001. Um, and we had a salon in uh, Davis County, Utah, and we were the only registered safe space with the Utah Pride Center. Right. And we had, we had kids coming from the local high school just hanging out and you know just feeling that they are included and not only are you building them up giving them a safe place to go because a lot of these kids and a lot of not, not even kids adults they don't have a safe place to go they have themselves and all of the uh, the negativity that follows them but just to be that one outlet where they can be themselves is you're doing the community a service. Absolutely. And, you know? and something that we get to do on a regular basis is also create um, not only a space for them, but we also get to uh, help them gender affirm, right? right? I have had so many experiences, and I'm not going to cry about it though. I've had so many experiences of clients that I love and care about that have come to me because they know that I will listen to how they actually want their right. hair done, and I will charge them accordingly to whatever that is right. going to be. And it's important that we gender affirm, and there are ways that we can educate ourselves on how to have these conversations during the consultations yeah. with our client. You know, I one of the best things that I ever learned a few years ago was when you have a new client that comes in your chair, or even reoccurring clients, always, always introduce yourself with your pronouns. Right. It gives them an opportunity to introduce themselves with their pronouns. Or you could have an online booking system where they can put that ahead of time if they're comfortable with right. that. There's You're... lots of ways to make them feel um, like they can be open about that. Right. And then we then we can go into a consultation um, knowing exactly what's needed from us so we can provide the best service. Right. And we can, we can actually discover what they're looking for. Right. You know, are they looking to appear more feminine, more masculine, neither. What are what are they looking for? These are all questions that we have to have and we have to ask ourselves to and we have to ask 
them. It's important. So it, it all starts with that initial contact, right? Like you, your consultation is the most important thing. Like you can spend 15, 30 minutes on a consultation and get a good idea of where they want to go. Right. On these consultation forms or even your lines of questioning when it comes to these clients, you know, have a line that they fill out. How do you identify or whatever is the appropriate terminology for that? You right. Know? Um, what are your pronouns? Right. You know? well, and like as us with our, we have name plates, mm-hmm. and so we have you know name, pronouns. Right. And then what department you're part of? Right. So Perfect. Like our students has their name and then their pronouns, and then it says like master aesthetic. Yeah, I think you know? that's and it's like awesome. For someone for a client to come in and see that, there doesn't even have to be anything said. But they that know, level of comfort is yeah that. they know that that's something that you pay that we as a company pay attention to okay I have some Brad Mondo info mm. okay yeah. all right back to Brad Mondo Sorry. still so according to Brad Mondo he is a licensed cosmetologist in New York and Massachusetts okay um, his New York license is currently active up until 2024. Okay. But his Massachusetts license expired back in 2019. Okay. Well, he probably so lives he in New York. licensed. In New York. In New York. Well, that's good news. So he is a licensed cosmetologist since 2000. Well, okay. So this is where it's weird. So he got his license in Massachusetts in 2014, but he got his license in New York in 2016. But the New York he one probably moved. One, yeah, so the New York one is the one that is Current. still active. Yeah. So there's probably some kind of reciprocity where he moved from Massachusetts to New York, and he's got to hold a license in one state at least. Right. So, well, I mean, that's, that's you so know. So he has license. Right, and there's good. absolutely nothing wrong with him building his business the way that he has. The problem is, is our legislators are literally using his videos to justify taking our entire license away. Right. You know, like our- He doesn't realize the damage that he's doing to the actual industry. He thinks he's helping educate people to be their own stylist. Right, and- But- Yeah. It's doing the industry injustice. It's hurting. Everybody. It's literally taking money out of our pockets and children's mouths because we can exactly. prove that. We can actually prove it with what the dry bar did in Utah to us last year. They were paying more. The the Senate Bill 87 went through. Those services that they offer got deregulated. Then they immediately started paying less, paying less. That, for their starting because workers. And because you're going through the training. Well, great. But the thing is, is they weren't making a lot of money anyway. They weren't making but a decent They deserve collective bargaining yes. power. They deserve the opportunity to decide, to decide. To decide, period. What they're gonna sell their labor for. Right. And that's something that we have to have a conversation about as a society, but it starts with the industry because, you know, um, I had a friend tell me that um, the most influential person in America is the person who sleeps in the president's bed. But I would beg to differ that the most influential person in America is the person who does the president's hair. That, I mean, yeah. Um, I, 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 that's a hill I'll die on. <laughs> yeah. I, I, mean, I, I want to know who the hell Trump's, bed, Trump's like, uh, hairdresser wife. is. You what? I was like, his wife? The wife? Is the most influential. You know, influential. right? It's just a, it's just a joke. Yeah. <laughs> that was like, it was a little bit. Yeah, no, for it's sure. Right, of course. Because it's always the woman. 
must be. I, I'm, I'm still in this thought process of who the hell does Trump's hair? Well, right. Trump's not the president. Well, I know that. <laughs> let's, let's make that clear. Like let's he, make that he very is not clear. The president, capital N O T. I don't. I don't even want to know. Um, <laughs> like, how long have they been doing that trash panda mop that he has? Like, what? what the hell I wouldn't is be that? surprised if he does it himself. Like, I'm watching Brad Mondo. <laughs> He's Brad Mondoing it. One hundred percent. And he, you know, it's his fine. Self but it's also like his thing. Right? If if he were to get better hair, I think he would lose he wouldn't some be the laughing of his personality. Stock, right? Like yeah. I <laughs> I feel like that's part of who he is. Yeah. Is his bad hair. Right. And yeah. it, if I was a famous person and I had bad hair, I would milk that shit for all it's worth. It was like Bob Ross. His hair was not naturally curly. Right. True. But it became like his statement piece. We're going to is get it, perms now. Yeah. Is it amazing <laughs> hair? No. But did it, was it him? Absolutely. True. And so it's like to see Bob Ross without a perm, you would have been like, oh, I. Just a regular dude. Yeah. I no longer. Really, I, I, your trees are not so happy anymore. You know, I would right. just be like, those are unhappy trees. <laughs> they're regular trees. They're just regular they're, trees. They're content. Exactly. Come see, come so I'm like, <laughs> But, but yeah. then bring in the fro and you're like, those are some happy trees. Yeah. And those fill my soul. Right. <laughs> like that's. Right. So that's maybe that's just Trump's MO. Okay. All right. Moving on from Trump. <laughs> um, but no, like we're, we're, uh, my God. Where was I going with that? I have no idea. Me neither. Uh-uh. Our topics have jumped. It's fine. So many times. Well, it's I'd fun. love to hear about, because um, one of the reasons you taught Beauty Project is really excited about Miabel Academy is um, the opportunity for future students to actually have inclusive education built in. So you were mentioning to me that you were having um, foundational haircutting on all kinds of hair, yep. providing multiple different types of hair in form of mannequins mm-hmm. for the students. Like Yeah, and realistically like it's gonna be hard for every student to bring in a live model. Especially in Utah. Uh, especially in Utah just because of the demographic, even though there is there are people out there who have like that kinky coily hair. Well and the, and the demographic is growing. You it know? Is, and that's the thing. It's growing tremendously. But just having that ability on a mannequin to be able to work on ethnic hair, Asian Let's let's correct um, let's correct that. Ethnic hair. What do you say, ethnic hair? Let, let's call it kinky coily. Sorry. Um, even even though you are a POC, you know, like I, I yeah. In case anyone didn't know, I'm brown. Um, you know, I, I find I find the the term, especially in Utah, with ethnic hair, it's 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 so whitewashed. Right. And you know, we need to just you know say say what it is. It's kinky coily hair. You know, there's no there's no difference when it comes to how the hair reacts to you know. Uh, chemicals or anything like that, it still grows out of the hair, right? It may the be head. coarser or the head. Um, thanks for correcting me on that one, Heather. Um, you know, but it's how we work with it and how we're educated behind what type of product um, that's going to work for that. The tension within the, you know, you're using for cutting the hair, you know, what kind of highlights are going to work best for this texture here. But what we end up doing, what we ended up doing with the curriculum is to include um, those people that are licensed understand that there are foundational haircuts, right? You have your line, your layer, and your graduation, right? And then you have your shapes, which is square, triangle, and round. 
and any combination of those nine you can use on all textures. It's the matter of how you go about it with tension and product usage and styling, your end result is gonna be different, right? right? And it's introducing that and also a soft introduction within an academy setting of protective styles like braiding um, and you know relaxing services. You know, I have yet to see a salon in the state of Utah that offers a relaxer to a client or have it on their menu, right? Is because well, you know, relaxers are scary things, you know. But essentially, what it is, it's a perm. You know, the the culture calls it it's like a perm. Opposite perm. It's the opposite of a perm. Right. Right. Like, yeah. It's you're still using the same ingredients. Sorry, this is me not because I don't do hair, and so I'm like, it's because what's the number one rule of perms, Heather? Don't get your hair wet for 24 to 48 hours for fear of deactivating the ammonium thiglobulase. Yes! Queen! <laughs> legally blonde! I was going to say, for legally blonde. <laughs> so, big shout out to uh, Reese Witherspoon on that one. <laughs> big shout out Sponsor to our girl Reese. Uh, um, so, you know, like, it, it's, it's a matter of knowing what these products do and educating people behind it right it's we were having a conversation so it's basically what i do with brow laminations and yes lash, lash absolutely lips, it's right? the same because product breaking down those disulfide bonds the the strength of the product may differ right and the right. application it's, process may differ but it is the same exact product right it's right? the same process it's the same process like changing the structure of right so there there was a product so that curling it with a perm you're straightening it right correct but so is a relaxer sorry again this is my me being naive um so things like the brazilian blowout the keratin smoothing are those considered no no. no the reason is um the brazilian blowout is actually a aggressive smoothing treatment what it's doing is it's adding a cuticle layer on the outside of the hair it's actually not penetrating so into the dose of hair basically. right so a relaxer is a chemical change Right, of right. the structure, of the bonds of the hair. It's reforming the, the structure of the way the hair pattern lays. Then your Brazilian okay. blowout is more of like a temporary solution. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like it's dim. What about like the Japanese straightening? Japanese straightening is considered the same thing as, as a relaxer, Brazil. but oh. there's a thermal process to it. Okay. You are changing that chemical. About it. This is probably get, before your. Uh, I used to get Japanese straightening done. Okay. When my hair was really long. It sticks straight. Yeah. Like, um, I, I like you couldn't it, even put a curling iron to it. It wouldn't curl. And curl. Interesting. Like, it would just. The straight. I loved it. Right. Because I have really big, thick. And it's a smoothing. Hair. It just. Yeah. It, it know, like just, lays that cuticle down real smooth. It was super mm-hmm. straight. Like, yeah. And, you know, I think that when we are going to be professionals like something that we cannot argue is that these chemical services are going to be available in our industry for the foreseeable future absolutely and if they are going to exist there needs to be professionals that are that are trained on how to handle these chemicals and i think the way that we see it is it shouldn't just be the people who live in you know detroit or 
you know, New York or California, like everyone should have access to that education. Like everyone should be learning that. Like it should be part of an everyday curriculum. And not, yeah, exactly. And not only should everyone have access to it, but everyone should have access to affordable versions of it. Yes. And whether that exists online, whether that exists in person or whatever that platform is going to be, Utah Beauty Project's really motivated to provide those resources. And I think that's why we wanted to include it as part of our curriculum because realistically not everyone wants to stay in the state of Utah. Right, of course. Right? And they want to you want to make sure that they're prepared and have every so, bit of somebody from that Utah they have. moves right. to Detroit or New York or where the demographic is stronger, they can go into that market knowing that they, that have, they the have the education behind and them. the education, yeah. Right. And they have the confidence to do it and to say, yeah, I can do that. And, and not, yeah. well, I kind of learned about it, but I've never done it. Right, right? absolutely. <laughs> and remember, when we have an educational structure or platform that we're offering to students and we provide them with mannequins, we provide them with books and a, and a curriculum and a class and an instruction and teachers and a facility and those are only included with straight mannequin hair right. and only included with focusing on history and culture and context behind Vidal Sassoon and victory rolls and finger waves and then what have we found ourselves in? What have we found ourselves in? We found ourselves in a racist institution. That's yeah. what we found ourselves in and that is the single reason why we have the most segregated industry in America. Why is it acceptable? And uh, some of the arguments that I've heard from, you know, when I have this, these conversations with other beauty professionals as well, uh, black people and people of color don't want to get their hair done by somebody who's white. You know, that's that's something that that's I've heard. That's bullshit. At, well, and it's, the reason, as a, as a white person, right, I want to listen, I want to listen to all these perspectives. Right, and it's right. important to me to understand um, from a professional standpoint uh, why a black client would feel hesitant to come see me. And that right. is the reason. That is the right. reason is because of the school that I attended, the school that they know um, doesn't even offer any sort of opportunity. Braiding even isn't even required to have a license. So we're not, they're not going to teach that to the professionals in school either. Right. Um, which is another conversation that we can have because I, I believe <laughs> in their, for another day. I believe in their right to work and I believe in their right to their, um, to their, um, right. cultural craft. And that's, that's a separate issue. However, um, as a professional, I should be able to color and cut anyone's Absolutely. hair. If I'm going to be a colorer and a cutter, I should be able to color and cut anybody that sits in my chair regardless. Of, and I should be 100% confident on every single kind of hair type no fear and if i'm and if i'm going to specialize in a certain kind of haircut let's say i do shags and mullets okay that's my jam i love doing those if i can only offer a shag and a mullet on a very specific type of hair then you're not then i'm not a shag and a mullet expert no if i can only and i do vivid color right if i can only put rainbow hair on a certain type of hair then am I a professional? Am I considered Are you a the master top? of your craft? Am I a master of my craft? Absolutely not. Right. And I could put that blame on me for not, well, I'm talking about me rhetorically, right? Because I've actually spent lots of time and energy educating myself and spent money on classes and put myself in hair shows and in situations where I can right. learn. Not everyone is has those means, and so I'm very lucky. But when we put ourselves in that situation, as a professional, there are two ways we can go. And without any requirement, without any, um, 
like accountability, accountability from our own industry, let alone from our state, to make sure that we're learning these things, this is the problem we will find ourselves in. And it's genuinely going to cost all of us our license in general. Right. It will. And, you know, it, when we take the blame personally and we say, well, I didn't educate myself enough, I, you know, that's great. But what we really need to focus on is that we are all in the same boat. We shouldn't be expected to do that. And we have um, an elite class in our industry making billions, billions of dollars with a B, billion, a capital B, a capital B billions of dollars by not providing us what we need. Not and students students especially right with the foundation because you can't realistically say that you're going to learn everything that you right. need to know like it's such an ever-changing industry but if you provide students with the foundations of what they need and teach them right how to go on right and understanding that yes schooling it is a thousand hours two thousand hours mm-hmm. however many hours per state and whatever you know, that you're going to learn but you're going to learn the foundations of everything that you need in order to succeed but you still have to kind of take that upon yourself to put yourself in a position where you're right you're okay to keep learning right absolutely Just because there's this industry because it's changing all the time absolutely trends are changing technologies are changing especially with aesthetics like devices are changing you know all this stuff that you have to be open to knowing that, oh, well, just because I didn't learn that in school, it doesn't mean I can't learn that, you know, but right. just coming out of school, you should be confident in saying, oh, I'm treating someone with higher melanoma. Okay. Right. They Absolutely. Just have, or not melanoma, melanin in their Oh, system. yeah. I, that's what I heard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I said, it's fine. Um, you know, like I felt 100% confident in treating someone that's a fits two versus someone that's a fits five. Like their melanin content is what, just what's, different. What's fits, Heather, for us it's, lay people? <laughs> you know what fits is. <laughs> um, us lay people with two different Right, so it's how we as esthetician determine your skin type. Sure. So it's skin okay. typing. It's skin Absolutely. typing. Right. But it's skin type it's like you we you literally learn it at least with my students we learn it in the first month absolutely right because skin is skin but everyone's skin has different amounts of melanin and based on that amount of melanin in the skin their reactions to things can be different but you shouldn't be afraid of it right right and that's what i've come across at other schools is there are a lot of students or even instructors who are like oh i would never do this on someone with your yeah someone with your skin tone and i'm like well why well i just wouldn't do it because tell me there's too many problems what problems and i'm like but i've done it to myself like right i've never had a problem i have clients that i've done it to right to my family i've done it you know right and And the problem is is this teacher wasn't even provided the education needed to instruct you properly about your own fucking skin which then in turn makes the students terrified of certain peels because they're like oh well i was told to never use this on a fits four and above so what about it is so scary right and I think, no. yeah, this and this applies so deeply in every corner of our industry. Every single person who works in this industry has um, has this type of like 
conflict within their own education. Like right. everyone I've ever talked to. And the other day I had my, um, I have a pick comb, my favorite pick comb broke in half. I was oh. like, no. So I'm, but I had a client later and I really needed one. I didn't, you I couldn't, needed that I, I needed to go get a pick comb. I'm in a studio suite. I could have asked one of my neighbors, but I just was like, no, I need to get my own. I have an hour. Let me run to the beauty supply real fast and pick one up. We can always buy seven inch combs and tail combs and wide tooth yeah. combs, any type of comb you need. They usually have. And I walked in. Um, I will not name the beauty supply store. I was just going to ask, what store? You can mouth it. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, place. yeah, that not, place. not, that there are some that are better than others. Don't For those listening, I, I bet you can figure it out by process of elimination. But I walked in <laughs> and they're, they're owned by one of the largest. Uh, okay, stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay. we walked in and um, I went over to the Please section. Please don't sue us. Please don't sue us. Um, I walked over to the section where the combs are, right? Of course, all the right, tools. Um, it wasn't like there was a blank spot, like everyone bought them. I couldn't even buy a pack of combs that included one. It didn't exist in the store. Like a basic plastic tool, right? That's what I use to sanitize, right? right? Like I use a plastic tool versus like a wood one. You know, right. that's just what I use. Um, and so I asked, little worker gal was like hello ma'am um do you have this do you have a pick home i'm in desperate need help me out she literally said what she literally said what i explained to her and then i had to get descriptive i was like you know it's like looks like this and people use it to pick out curls pick out fro like you can use it to even comb toner through it like i need a wide wide pick to comb like can i have one please and um she's like oh we don't we don't sell those and she walked me over to a section of products, like products, and like that like were specifically made for, for black, black hair. hair. She walked me over to like some oh, I won't name the brands, like some that they had pulled from all the brands they sell at this store right. to this, like, this one token yep. shelf. Um, and I will tell you right now it's what like I have food aisle exactly. That's exactly it. <laughs> and what I thought was um, inappropriate was number one, I wasn't asking for a product. I was asking for a tool. And you're also assuming that this is a tool only over, ever used on black hair. Right. Um, so that's interesting. Um, but also, I got thinking and I was like, you know, the products that I use to style black hair and what I use and I, what brands I recommend to my um, clients are never the brands that they sell here because those oh, yeah. are not the products that are best for black hair specifically if she's going there, right? right. Black owned businesses and black, we don't learn about that in school either. We don't yep. learn, we don't, aren't provided those um, product lines to use on our clients and our fellow students and on practice on our mannequins that we don't get in school. We don't get those, right. that opportunity. And we also don't even get the resources and the names of the product lines that we should be using. And there's a lot, there's a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a large industry. Black women and women of color are the highest consumers of the beauty industry. Yep. Well, because when they find something that works for them, I mean, I was the same way. Like, I have really big, thick, curly. Not, it, yeah, not like coils, mm-hmm. but like unmanageable curly hair. Right. When it's long. And so it's like, I've used picks in them in, when I was younger. And. When you find something that we're, I will buy the shit out of that. Sure. Because 
what I what you get at the grocery store swab is right not gonna, and you yeah. should be able to go I know you're married to Mikey so this doesn't apply to you right, but, but you should be able to go into a salon and sit down and get a haircut from a hairdresser with whatever kind of hair you have and be able for that professional to tell you especially if they're one of those hairdressers that's claiming to be the a best and or, they're famous on Instagram and they've won awards they should be able to name you name drop those lines to you of what you should get because they should understand the entire context they should be the most well-rounded professional in this industry if that's what they're claiming to be and so that's the thing that I think is the most interesting is there's not an organization that's promoting that and we did teach a class at the University of Utah a few months ago called critical race theory truth behind the chair um, in the beauty industry and so that was uh, that's something that really inspired us as an organization to educate and give classes that you're not going to get in school maybe they're not technical classes maybe it's not here's no, how to do the best the best bob like cool that, but what else are you got making sure that schools right are doing that right exactly right? which is what i loved about that i mean i didn't get to go to that class but i heard such amazing things about that that i want to go next yeah next and we're, it was an amazing um, class the, the if you guys need a person of color esthetician on the panel, oh you know we gonna I, be sending you an email you I'm know more <laughs> It'd be more than I know, and yeah, because that's something we want to expand that and have the opportunity right. to teach that, and we want the opportunity to teach about other subjects as well, like gender and unionizing and our workplace rights and the standard of our education well, and so, critical like, race theory. About gender, like there's so many things within that, like that we as estheticians need to pay attention to, because like if someone is say transitioning and they're on hormones, we need to understand how that skin is going to be changed, sure. how that's going to be different, and. It's not a matter of we're not judging what you're doing. Right. But I want to make the best, most informed decision for your skin based off of your current lifestyle. Exactly. Whether that's hormone therapy, yeah. whether that's chemotherapy, right? Whether that's whatever it is, whether if it's you're on a steroid. If you're on a steroid, if you're on you know, there's so many things that can affect the way that your skin reacts that it's right. not just people of color. Right. And we really have to ask ourselves as professionals, people who have dedicated their careers and lives to this trade, like what kind of workers are we going to be? Right. You know, what kind of innovators are we going to be? What are we going to bring as a generation to the table of this industry? Right. This is an industry that was made by black women a hundred years ago. And this is an industry that's been built on the back of people's labor. And this is an industry that institutes racism and sexism and right. transphobia. And we absolutely <laughs> have to, oh yeah, elevator We're, we're, we're going to take a break, elevator yeah. music, potty break. And we're back. Um, so, um, we're recording now at like just over an hour. And uh, uh, yeah, hour, five minutes so love far. content. Right? Content's great. Yeah, but um, one more thing, because I have to say it while we're on. Oh, just say, say all you need, because I can hit record and just let it go 24 oh, hours, oh, and we're good. Yeah. You know, like, we're just going to follow you around and just you might as well. Life. You know, someone told me that I should just record the conversations I have with my clients and make it into a podcast because of, like, the tea that is spilled. Like, it's just, like, I mean, too good. We also love tea, but... 
maybe not podcast material. Yeah, yeah obviously. Yeah, for sure. Obviously. For sure. Well, yeah, like my, like my own, like one. I'm like, do I have the spins to spend on that? No. <laughs> That's why I'll come be on yours. <laughs> yeah, but um, we have to also, we have to remember. Okay. So one of the most important things that we can do at this period of time in our country, let alone working in the beauty industry, is educate ourselves about what our rights are as workers. We are being taken advantage of. I Anybody listening to this that is an independent contractor and you are working at a salon or a spa as an independent contractor, I encourage you to look at the guidelines of what an independent contractor entails and what should be expected from you because misclassification of workers is the first step but the reason that we are being misclassified is because um, of a lack of education it's not our business owner's fault it's not our employer's fault it's it's the industry that set that as an example so is there um a link, say, on the Utah Beauty Project where they can go. Yeah, we're and- coming out with a pamphlet about this. Okay, so we're going to okay. have some um, on our website in the next couple weeks. And um, what's your website? UtahBeautyProject.com. Perfect. That's, that's our website. And we will be having um, our next newsletter, which is a pamphlet, it's a little longer, um, and it's entitled Fair Pay for Fair Work. And it is about the independent contractor business model um, and why it exists and what I those problems of, are. A lot of employers, like we were actually just talking about independent contractors versus um, employees mm-hmm. and what would we prefer to have you know, when the time comes or whatever. And I just, I feel like it's easier to have employees. Sure. That's not everyone's perspective, but I appreciate that. But that's the thing is if you're going to tell somebody what they can charge, what their hours are, um, expect them to wear a certain thing and be there at a certain time and use a certain product, that is an employee. That's an employee. And why, why are, am I not an employee? Why am I a 1099, an independent contractor, if you will, is because our employers do not pay payroll tax. And we saw this in the pandemic. When you're an independent contractor, even if you feel like a worker and you are an independent contractor, it doesn't matter that you gotta pay your own tax at the end of the year and you make a little extra money, whatever. We're not eligible for unemployment or social security or FMLA or any kind of government program disability that would help us in a bind because we're not not a worker. I'm not a fan of independent contractors, um, just because as someone who's had to be one, right? I fucking hate it. It is. It's. I hate the concept. Like, yeah. just take it out of my paycheck. Right. Like, I will be an employee. I will wear what you want me to wear. I will use the products you want me to use. Absolutely. Just take the damn taxes and give me my social security. Like, exactly. Exactly. You know, like, just, and so, yeah, when we were talking about it, I was like, I do not want to do 1099s. I do not want to do. It is just 100% easier. Right. And something well, we and there's, also... Well, there's also, there's that protection as an employer that you have with your business by hiring employees. By having employees. Right, exactly. You know, if, say, an uh, independent contractor comes along and, there, God forbid, there's like a slip and fall, you know, in your business, that 
independent contractor could sue the business because there was no protections for that person or whatever contracts they may have signed right, did they not have have their insurance right yeah, absolutely. so yeah, as an employee like I don't know, we're, I just, we're looking I, out for not only the employee but the the guests and well, the students to, that we I have in our like building we need to look out for Everybody. Right. right. And remember that if you're if you have a conversation with your employer or the owner of your business and you say, so I'm an independent contractor and I'm wondering why I'm not an employee. And their reason is, oh, because you'll make more money. That's because their accountant told them to do that because their accountant's job is to make them the most money. It's not right. necessarily their fault. But if they're unwilling to work with you and have a conversation about that, that's where we need to revisit. Um, right. We should not be signing um, non-compete for that we should not be signing any type of contract with them if they are expecting us to do certain things. Exactly. And we need to be educated about what those rights are. And I think that's the biggest thing is having, it goes back to the whole point of Utah Beauty Project, is having that place, that resource to look up that information and to say, okay, what are my rights as an independent contractor? Right. What are my rights as an employee? Mm -hmm. And being able to distinguish between the two and being able to make an educated decision for yourself. Right. And to say, okay, well, I'm I'm choosing this one because this is better for me. Not I'm choosing this one because it's my only choice. Absolutely. Like there needs to be they the the employee slash contractor needs to be able to have that pros and cons list of their own that right. they've made and they've made the best decision for them. Like exactly. If you're someone who is phenomenal with money and great at doing all that stuff, go ahead, be that independent contractor, know what you're getting yourself into and make sure you're pulling out that money for your taxes and for all this stuff. Sure. And there are some people who are phenomenal at that and of course. they can do that. Mm -hmm. There are also those of us that cannot do that <laughs> and are not great at that. And so right. being an employee is ideal. And so it's like, well, if you're offering me independent contractor and you're offering me employee, what is going to be the pros and cons of each? Absolutely. And which one can I realistically commit to? And our industry sets us up to think that the only option that we have after going to school and working at a salon or a spa is one day you'll own your own oh, salon. And that is valid, okay? Because that could no, be a dream. However, valid. there are so many people in this industry, people I've talked to who are not interested in that. And right. we have to remember that owning your own salon sounds like the peak, sounds like you've made it. You're a brand now. But what you've actually done is you've taken on the livelihood and responsibility of not only your employees but their families exactly. and if you are not going to take that seriously and make them an employee so that they have proving income to buy a house and get a loan and buy a car and get unemployment and get disability or feed their family, and, feed their family yeah. you know have a regular job if you can't figure that out if because you want them to make more money so you don't have to pay them more that is a problem and in the state yeah. of California they actually just passed a law where if you are caught misclassifying a worker um, you could get a misdemeanor. You could get charged with a crime. That's and good, if, if California is doing that, why are we over here just yeah, thinking it's no big deal? Right. And that's not that far. We could drive there if we wanted. And we do drive there. We do drive there all the time. And something that we also have to know is this is 
a fight that we have to look at as a countrywide thing. Utah right. is special, has its right, but it's a right to work state. Right to work, the state law does not trump federal law. And you know what we've got in this country is the Fair Labor Relations Act. Right. And you know what else we have in this country in our constitution is protections for our right to organize. And what are we gonna do? We're gonna organize and we're gonna make businesses that give our workers a fair chance because retention is a problem in this industry. Oh, absolutely. And the blow dry bars thought it was such a great idea to be able to just train people and start them on a low wage, but they're gonna realize real soon that this is a laborious, complicated craft that is going to take a lot of resources and time and energy and will to train on. And our businesses need to realize that they are caught misclassifying workers, even in a right to work state like Utah, if, if there was a claim filed by any employee to the, like there are so many departments, but like the Department of Commerce or the or the IRS, you know, if, if, if you filed um, an, on a misclassification of a worker and they were investigated or audited, you could be eligible to pay back those taxes yourself. There isn't protection for you because you should have known better as an independent contractor. But we, I know of in my own experience being an independent contractor at salons where I didn't even get a contract. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, they just give me a tonight. They just calculate my pay and give me a written paycheck. I'm like, sounds good to me. You know, I'm not that. But in reality, that's abusive. It's abusive. It's abusive of our of our employers to put that on us. It's abusive of them to interrogate us one on one. It's abusive of them to put all of these weird workplace standards and rules on us. It doesn't matter if they provide you with education or provide you with a nice high quality facility. If they can't provide you with your basic rights, if they can't even educate you about them, talk talk to you about them without getting upset or threatening to fire you or demoting your pay, if they can't even have that conversation with you, then they shouldn't be in business. If you're a business owner and you don't have the energy or time or will or like even just want to provide a space to give your workers fair pay and give them benefits and uplift them and see them grow with you, then what are you even doing? Go get a suite by yourself. Which brings me on, a, on another conversation about suite ownerships and all that. Like, I've we've owned salons, we've owned you know suites, and I've worked in a hourly rate and a commission based salon. And the thing, Mikey's done it all. I, I mean, I've got twenty years behind me, you know. Like, um, but the one thing that has come to light in recent months is that there are there is i'm not going to say who it is but there is a school owner out there who opened up a um, salon suite facility and they are now pushing students to rent out these suites what kind of ethics and morals do you have to say okay well here student with zero clientele if your dream is to be your own boss here here's $300 every single week that you have to pay in order to maintain your uh, rent space and just your studio not alone the product that you have to use the education that you're gonna have to continue on all these other expenditures fresh out of school 
Absolutely. And I think what happened to the yeah. conversation of get out there, get the experience behind the chair at a reputable place where you can be paired fairly, paid fairly, treated fairly, all these other things that go along with it. And then five years down the road, when you have that clientele and you want to still think about being a salon owner, a suite owner, or independent contractor, whatever it may be, then that is your time to do so. Not fresh out of school. What you're doing to these students is an injustice. It is you're not kind of setting them up for failure. You're setting them up for failure. Well, okay, well, here, student, pay me 20000 20, 20 to $30,000 for my education. And we won't teach you how to do black hair, though. We, we we're not we're going to teach you how to do all we're the hair. We're going to teach you minimum, bare minimum. And your your education is 100% independent learning online to a point where when you do get a client, you have no idea what to do because there's no guidance from an instructor. And even these instructors that these schools are hiring are fresh out of school because they have an instructor program. It's, it's not right. It is not ethically sound. It is not okay. No. It's everything about that is bullshit. As an educator and as a school owner. It's taking advantage of the, the hopes and dreams passion of passion and right. naivety of people new in the industry. But the people right. that are new in the industry going into schools, paying this amount of money, they want the education. And in our experience with our students that we have is they are okay with five hours of theory work <laughs> because they are learning. Right. They're learning. I've never seen so many students excited about learning about biofilm. <laughs> Okay, because they're actually getting an education and you know exactly who you are, who I'm talking about, and I'm hoping that you're laughing. But, you know, that excitement as an educator makes the educator and the business owner really excited about the process in which we've created. Can we change this industry for the better? Absolutely. But it starts at the very beginning. If right. you have a student that enrolls into school paying that twenty to 30000 for their education and they're excited the first three months and then it's a decline from month four until graduation because you're not getting the education, is it, is, it's a fail. It's a fail as a company. It's a fail as an educator. It's a fail all across the industry. I mean, I felt that I feel like it's a fail as an instructor. Like, it may not even be your fault. Right. Right? As the instructor, you are put into a position where it's like, just teach what we tell you to teach. Absolutely. And it's like, but I want to teach, but there's so much more to it that I can add in. Well, but you don't want to do that because then you have to teach that to everybody and you don't want to hold yourself to too high of an accountability. Well, right? that, that goes that goes on the, uh, the conversation. I had, I worked for or two different schools that had said this, and I've known people that have worked for other schools that they have said this. Don't give the students a curriculum or um, a syllabus because that holds you accountable. Well, why don't you want to be accountable? You should be held accountable. Okay, as like their education we, we literally write it on the wall every single week what to expect during that week. They also, within their student uh, professional uh, packet that they get before they even sign contracts, is a syllabus, the model dates that they need. Right. 
Yes, we want to be held accountable. We want to make I sure that... I want to be held accountable just as much as they are. Like, if they can't expect to hold me as an instructor accountable, I shouldn't expect to hold them accountable as students. Right, and I think, you know, you opened the door, so we'll talk about it. I think another layer <laughs> that I think is... We're going to go there. We'll go there. I think another layer that we also need to address in uh, beauty schools in this country, let alone the state, is that we are providing education to the future of our beauty industry, but we are also also expecting their labor in return and with their labor comes profit for the school and so if that is going to be the layer and they aren't workers and they don't get to be paid then what are we going to provide them with what kind of instruction should they receive as trade for that exactly. because they have want they have voluntarily it. sold their labor on their own behalf of paying for their own right. labor um, to receive uh, base standard of education. But the thing in our industry is, is we don't really have that. We don't have a There's base, no standard. base standard. So who's going to set that? Because as far as I'm concerned, the people who should set that base standard should be us. Yes. It should be a collective group of working professionals that have experience in this industry in all corners. In and all the corners, decisions... In all aspects in terms mm-hmm. of professionals within the industry, right. professional administration, within the industry, you know, like there needs to be representation that can say, okay, this needs to be the bare minimum. There needs to be a bar set, right? right? So that, cause you could have two schools within a 10 mile radius who are both hair cosmetology and aesthetic schools, but their bare minimums are completely different. So right. it's like, oh, well you learned that in your school. I didn't learn that. And it could be something super simple. Oh, you learned a shampoo? <laughs> Which takes me back to another experience was, is that... Yeah, we had an experience. We, where had, we had students who said, well, we never actually learned, learned how, to, how shampoo. to shampoo. And when it comes to the all walks of life, that shampoo experience is... It sets the it's bar. Universal. It's universal. Well, but it's... It, 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 it is universal, but it's it's the best part of the experience of getting your hair done. But if you, if you have that person of color that has that kinky coily textured hair and they sit down in your chair the confidence level from that guest to the stylist if you're not shampooing correctly can determine a five-star review or a zero-star review right. and the community that they talks they, I mean, just like any community, like they we have talk. friends, we talk, you know, we have a podcast, <laughs> you know, like, but you can sit there and but say, you can, oh you can God, have the, that the, was the worst shampoo. It didn't even feel like they were touching my head, right. but it was the best haircut. But that shampoo that they received made that best haircut they ever had garbage. And I'm saying garbage, right? Yeah. So it's, it, it, it is pivotal to understand why we're doing the things that we're doing, not just going through the motions. Right. And that's why we need to unionize. We do need to unionize. And it is in the best interest as us as business owners also to have a workforce union. Um, It is better for us that we don't have to um, constantly be worried about how our employees are treated. They should be able to come to us with a contract and negotiate. They should be able to do that. It's actually their constitutional right to do so. And I think it just scares a lot of business owners. Of course it does. Because they don't want to be held accountable. Because we want to... Mm -hmm. They want to get away with the bare minimum. Right, because remember, money is not 
what they are after. Money is the tool. Power is what they aim to have. And they use money as the tool to obtain power because we live in a country where if you do not have money, you do not have power. That is applies in every single person, every industry in this Which entire country. It is unfortunate, but the way that we can combat Does that, that mean you have a lot of money because you have a lot of power. Well, collective, well, look, collective bargaining takes you the power, right? I don't have money. You can, I live in an apartment, okay? We got a dog, though, so that's good. Hey, get a dog. dog. Oh, I've always had the dog. Oh, yeah. okay. I've always had the dog. But, like it was a, that's, it's my only you, asset. Right? Hey. But, you know, it's, my, it's my, little, the, my little buddy. It's yeah. the voices like Devin that are out there to not only empower women, um, empower the, um, the industry, the industry. The, the, to light a fire under people's asses to show them that we are. She, she is the voice that people want to say. Well, hold on. She, she says she, what people she, want to right, say. Right. What Heather said. Um, you know, like we love Devin because she is the she's the workforce that is fighting for us all. She's like the mitochondria of the cell. Yeah. Oh my god. Powerhouse. And you know how we get that power, my friends? It's not from money. It's from collective bargaining. That's our only tool we got. There we go. That's the only thing we can do is. <laughs> but another. Come together. The, the great Come thing. Together. The we great thing. Together. The great thing about this industry is that we should be uplifting each other and supporting each other because when we do that, we're, we we're busy. Well. We're 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 making what we need to as you know as, um, a whole. as a whole. You know, we're not there struggling haircut after haircut trying to pay bills. You know, like if. I, I charge a lot of money for what I do, and I can do a shitty haircut. I've been known to do shitty haircuts, but um, that doesn't mean that somebody that just is a year out of school did a better haircut, but they charge less. It's not about that. It's about what the client is experiencing, right? It's that experience behind the chair that the client is paying for. And that's where that shift in this the hairdressing side of things has come to. It's not about providing that exceptional haircut that you can go home and let it air dry and have it just lay perfect. It's, did you provide beverages? Did you have a good conversation with the client? Did you provide the best shampoo experience possible? It's all the things within that service that you can provide that's gonna gain your loyalty with your guests and your staff and your, whatever, your students. Mm-hmm. It's not about the actual service. It's about the experience that you take from it. And that experience that the client also takes from it includes inclusivity. Absolutely. If they feel heard, they feel validated, they feel recognized, and they feel that their identity has been taken seriously and that they feel as though they got the service that they wanted. And it's up to us to learn how to do that. And that starts with educating ourselves. And that also begins with organizing collective bargaining. So what that means is talking to our coworkers, probably not at work, about this. <laughs> right. You know, like, what are we going to do? You know, have an open discussion with your workers about the conditions of where you work. And when you come together as a workforce or as a student body or yeah. as a um, company, right, or whatever you were calling them these days, if you come together as a group of independent contractors being treated like employees in a workplace that has a cosmetology facility permit, (laughs) uh, whatever, but like when you come together, (laughs) breathe, Devin, breathe. Right, but when we come together, do I need to hit pause so you can catch your breath? (gasps) 
No, I got it. I got it. <laughs> but when we come together, that is our power. Yep. That is, there is no amount of money that can take on collective bargaining, collective bargaining because we have the thing that they're after and the thing that they're after are our is our labor but also our clients but our labor most of yeah. all right. and so what are we going to do about it you know if you're going to be misclassifying me you're going to be um, not providing me the resource you're going to be demoting my pay cutting my hours to be petty because you don't like me you know we've experienced it all this industry Absolutely. is, is uh, excuse my french again a shit show oh, this 100%. industry does not have it together the thing we do have is an incredible craft and the ability to create some awesome trends in art um, but when we're in our workplaces there is not an example of a place as it exists now, where their workers are being treated fair. And so when we come together and we say, no, we are not going to service our clients here and we are not going to sell our labor to you until these changes are made, that is when that is when collective bargaining power trumps money. Trumps money. That is when they say, oh, you're serious yeah. about this. Because then there's, there's profit loss on there. Right. Sure. And remember yeah, that this is our legal right. Yes. Like this is this is something that's been happening for a hundred years. This is like the labor movement. You know, Starbucks is doing this, Chipotle is doing this, REI is doing this. You know, all of these businesses, uh, you know, I'm I'm volunteering working with the Clever Octopus campaign right now. Right. You know, there are a lot of businesses here that in Utah even, and let alone our country, country, that have figured this out. And something interesting, and maybe I'll end it on this note, you know, I gotta end it on my little feminism bone. Hey, Intersectional feminism, by the way, um, it's all related. Um, but something <laughs> that we need to remember is that there are industries similar to ours. For example, my favorite one, the electricians, okay? The electricians have an apprenticeship program or you can go to school for a certain amount of time and you get your, your accredited hours as an apprentice or you get your student from the accredited school, your little diploma, and then you apply and you take the state board exam and you have a written and you have a practical and then you yep. get a DOPA license and then you get to work in the industry. Let me tell you something. Um, not only is it way more organized in that industry, not only do they have a um, union that provides the standard of education and the union is made of working electricians, right, that elect each other to be representatives, but they also have um, a standard where companies who maybe aren't in the union would never dream of paying any less than a certain you know, bracket, would never dream of not offering benefits because that union has all that collective bargaining power. Right. So that union is getting the best jobs, paying the best, and if any other company who chooses not to be in the union is like, we're going to pay minimum wage. Like no one's going to work there. Right. But something that's really interesting is that industry, the welding industry, the plumbing industry, the HVACs, so we could go on to all, you know, hands trades. What yeah. do we call it? Like, um, like trade work, trade work, tradesmen, tradespeople, if well, you will. The thing is, that's what we are. Like if you we are our license, we are licensed under occupational, yeah. occupational, we are an occupational trade. Exactly. Yes. Those industries, what, what do they have in common with each other that we don't have in common with them? They're unionized. They're unionized, but why? What else? I don't like being put on the spot. Oh, that's okay. When I don't know the answer. Well, <laughs> I think, and a lot of us think in Utah Beauty Project, and we've had these discussions with other um, organizations that 
Um, it's likely that they are they have credibility with their legislators when their license comes up for review and That's they have true, yeah. because they have a union, but they have that organization because they are an industry made of men. Oh, yes. Their industry is made of men. Of course, there are women and non-binary people that work there. Of course. Uh, of course. But they're, they're not the vast majority. It's not the vast majority. And we have a vast majority of women in Absolutely. this industry. And the there is a study. It's an NDP and analytics study. And you can even uh, look it up. But nine in, I think it was 2015, 2014, um, the study came out that 94%, 94% of licensed cosmetologists in the United States are women. Are women. And 80 percent of the beauty industry which includes um, all the other yeah yeah 85 percent are women you know i think that that is something that needs to be redone and we need more right market research to also be more inclusive right. of course like a poll i never participated in a poll you know like <laughs> but it's true we see it around us that this is an industry made of women it's not true you participated in my instagram poll i did participate in your instagram poll you know the only <laughs> only people invite me to polls are y'all so <laughs> I, 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 I tag I tag Utah Beauty Project in you almost do. everything. Yeah, because and we support them one hundred percent. But we, I mean, it's true. Women women do make up the industry. It doesn't mean that there aren't. Right? Oh well, yes, we're sitting with a man now. There are so many, so many people that I've worked with that are non-binary or right. trans. And I think the hard thing is the stigma. Right. One of being a cosmetologist. Sure. Is. Well, that's a girly job. It's like how women are nurses and doctor men are doctors, right? It's that whole right, when, which is bullshit. It is. Whatever. Um, but it's it's but also it's also how where he's like oh, oh you're they a nurse. only have they only have nurse as a female <laughs> right right and we can see this exemplified in our state on a broader scale um, the nurses. Are, are working hard to organize right now because yeah, in yeah. other other states the nurses which is another female dominated industry in, in healthcare yes in other states nurses do have union representation and collective bargaining power but not in the state of Utah in the same way they do have an association and that association does offer some representation um, but to the conversations that I've had with some nurses whether they be my clients or with through my organizing um, it's not enough and they're being taken advantage of we can obviously um, but then also we have teachers Teachers, right. And teachers have a very weak union here. Um, and the reason that it exists is because of uh, they had to um, because of the other states. Like we had they had to have one. Um, and it, not every school district applies. And it's, you know, it's very complicated. And so what we can do as um, not only a female dominated industry is organize ourselves, what we know the people around us, the way that we start with the change is we start in our own workplaces. Right. Whether that be our salon, our spa, our school, our suites with our tenants, wherever we need, we need to organize people to come together. And it isn't malicious. It no. isn't about taking money. It's about coming together to share resources as of now. It's about coming Absolutely. together so that we can have a healthcare plan. It's about coming together so that we can create um, a, a safety net for us all. So the first thing that we can do is educate ourselves about what that means. Read Secrets of a Successful Organizer. Read um, anything regarding unionizing or organizing at all. Watch self-made 
on Netflix. You know, learn about our industry and the history and the context of our industry. You know, I I love the (laughs) newsies. I always tell people watch newsies because what a what what a deeper story and then the songs. I mean, come on. Yeah, what? Yeah, exactly. But that's what it's about. It's about the kids coming together and saying, absolutely not. We're not going until you listen to us. Yep. I mean, and when we talk about that type of organizing, it's not necessarily against. I've got newsies musicals in my head. Good. You know what? Revolution, baby. (laughs) But like when we come together, it's not always against our small business owner like our little employer, right? It's not always about them. It's about the bigger picture. It's about coming together to um, maintain solidarity through the most capitalized, broken industry that we are all working in. And when we come together and form solidarity, that is when we actually have power and we can actually know the products. Can we buy a pick in a, a store? <laughs> like, can we just have a base standard of things that you should have to have? I just want my goddamn pick. I, it was just so frustrating. And it was just, it was ridiculous and unnecessary. Can you for a regional management position without that same company? I would never about. work for them. <laughs> So I applied for like a regional or it was either regional or district and I got the position but when I was interviewed for the position they denied me because I was male. Which, I mean... See? Okay. okay. And they straight up said, we do not put men in these positions. Why? We can stay as an associate but we will never promote a man to a regional manager. Why? Because Why it do you is a think? female they said because it is a female led company. And then behind the scenes, off the clock, they said, Well, the male uh, the men that we've had in this position before um, were very uh, sexually aggressive to the staff members. Oh. and yada yada yada. And I was like, Okay, just because one bad egg you know, ruins it for everyone basically, shouldn't be the determining factor for that position, right? But at the same time, like it gave me perspective on what it, what it's like being like POC or a, w- a woman in the industry, you know, like I was denied a job because of my sexuality, you know, your gender, my gender, different, yeah. right? Um, thank you for correcting me, but it, it's it's one of those things. Did it piss me off? Absolutely. Does it still piss me off? Absolutely. Should I talk shit about them? Probably not, but I'm still going to. You know, and that's a very complicated issue, and I can see I can see your perspective for sure. And you know, I think that one of the the things that we need to address as a country is discrimination based upon gender at all. You know, in a female dominated industry, in a female dominated company, I can see that, but, um, you, you know, I always like to say with men, we love them individually. Okay. We love them individually, but as a whole trash, (laughs) as a whole group, when they come together, I have a saying in my, in my household, it's the number one rule that we all have to follow and it covers all age groups. Okay, all age groups, all walk of life. If it's wet and it's not yours, don't touch it. Unless you're getting paid or have consent. Right? <laughs> oh my God. Right? Like it covers all bases for uh, all walks of life. But yeah, you see that piece of gum? Don't touch it, it's not yours. Yeah, it works for children. <laughs> no. It works for people that may want to touch something wet that's not theirs and they don't have permission. Yeah. Like just don't fucking do it. Yeah, right? and you know, but I also think that like but you sexual my... assault and, har- and harassment exists in other ways besides touching. Absolutely. And that's probably something they were concerned about. And, Absolutely. You know, like. But at the same time, like you ask my kids, like what's the number one rule? And they will straight up tell you if it's wet and it's not yours, don't touch it. Right. You know, like it's, 
<laughs> it goes all back to educating people and having that conversation that may, you may, I mean, especially in Utah, where these taboo subjects are considered, well, if you talk about this or feel this way, you're going up to a place that is not going to be pre uh, uh, prevalent in your end goal of life. Sure. Right? Like, if you have the conversations and you're open about the, the subjects, to your kids and again it all starts in the learning process no matter where you're at in that learning process of age right if you talk about a subject that seems to be taboo and you're restricted in that action what's going to happen rebellion you're going to have people that are you know going to go out and explore those possibilities and then get in trouble you know you see it all the time in utah where you know drinking is and smoking is frowned upon by certain uh, religious sects, um, and what happens is they turn of age or even high school age, and there are uh, lack of a better word, hoeing it up and um, doing all the things that they were told not to. It's a whole rebellion thing. What sure. Did this turn into that. I, well, I, you know, but I, like you know me, I just I, go off on. <laughs> You know, but it, it does say something there, like there's a lot of studies and people who've written about, you know, when you have a conversation with somebody that has extremist views or you have some, a conversation with, you know, whether that be a misogynist or a fascist right. or somebody that's like, I'm thinking the opposite of me, you know, like right. uh, whatever that may be, you have conversation with them. Um, when you, like, the, and this comes with organizing, right? When you have a conversation with somebody who has a completely different view from you, that's like maybe hanging on to conspiracy theory, hanging on to a certain ideology that you know isn't going to be productive um, from your own ideology and perspective, and you have a conversation with them and make them feel like they're wrong, it actually more likely will push, them, will farther push them farther into, into it yeah, because absolutely. it's validating them. And, and so that's why it's honestly an art form and honestly something that we need to learn as a society on how to have conversations with people that are constructive. How to that have is one hundred percent that has gotten worse because of the pandemic. Like I look at my our children, right, mm -hmm. and our you know sixteen year old Mia, she they don't know how to have conversations with each other without getting offended. Right, and it's like just listen. Right. Listen for the sake of, like, actually listening and understanding, not just hearing. Right. And you're, and you're teaching your children this, and we're teaching, like, grown-ass men out in the world about this, right? <laughs> that's why there are a lot of times when I tell my, like, my, I can try to change what I can change nationally, right? Mm -hmm. Being with you, being a part of you, being a part of, you know, what I can do. But if I can make a difference in the way that I raise my children... Mm -hmm. I have to have faith in that generation. I have to have faith in the generation of children that are seeing how things are not right. Right. And have faith in them that they will be the new, like the actual voices of reason. Right. Absolutely. You know, and, and so it's, it's, yeah, it's just. And, you know, I keep having thoughts about what you said, Mikey, about being, um, you know, feeling discriminated against because of your gender, and you know there, that is some there is something that we can do about that as but it relates. But at the same time, like I'm, I'm grateful for that experience because I was able to experience it. Sure, right? and there's um, I'm well, not sure if there you're are people. There are clients that he's had. And they're like, oh, you're a man. 
and it kind of makes them like question it. Right. But then he's like, just give me a chance. You know, he's really good at getting people to trust him. Right. With their hair. And then he ends up proving them wrong and they're like, holy cow, that was the best haircut I've ever had. You know, and so a lot of it is one, he has the confidence, but a lot of men within the industry, they will kind of start to feel like, well, I'm not getting the clients because I'm a man, even if, you know, they they could be the best at their trade. Right, absolutely. Right? As, as a cis male, as Devin likes to put me in. <laughs> Which is I true. I don't like no. to put you in that. You are in it. I, I am. I am. I, I, I didn't make that up. I am. You put yourself I, in. That's right. True, that's true, that's true. identity. Um, I feel as that cis male, I have to prove myself time and time and time again a lot harder than I would than somebody that is female in the industry just because I you know have the dad bod and I have you know the 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 look of it right um I I I literally have to prove myself over and over and over and over again but um I will say by doing that has grown me as a stylist it has pushed my confidence level out there but it's can I teach that whole thing to somebody that is not cis male? Right. Right? Like. So, I'd like to tell you a tale. I okay? love tales. This is the tale of the ERA. Okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I came, preface, I, came, I stumbled upon the ERA because we were writing a newsletter mm-hmm. um, last summer, which is available on our website, and you can see about that. About and where can you see that website? Um, UtahBeautyProject.com. Nice. Again, that's UtahBeautyProject.com. Exactly. And that was UtahBeautyProject.com? UtahBeautyProject.com. No the, just UtahBeautyProject.com. <laughs> yes. Selfless plugs. Something that uh, I learned was Alice Paul wrote the Equal Rights Amendment in 1923. Okay, and this was in an interesting time in history. This was the first wave of feminism in the United States, um, and the first wave of feminism was white women getting the right to vote. Right. And I would like to add some context. At that time, there were organizations and associations of women of color that were like, "Hey, Susan B. Anthony, etc., can we please come to the rally? We would really like to be included because we have vaginas. Because well. we have vaginas too, and we should be able to vote too. Mm. Um, and there were decisions made by white women to exclude those organizations and those activists from the movement because they didn't want it to be about race because they were trying to play politics and get women the right to vote. And um, I don't agree with that. I, you know, we're just looking at history. That is what happened. 1923 Equal Rights Amendment comes out. You can look it up online. It's very short and explanatory. I can recite it. Equality she under the law. I no. wish I did. I'm pro. I would. <laughs> Equality under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or any state on account of sex. Yep. Regardless of what it is, it does and not. She re- recited it. Oh yeah. <laughs> and the thing that is really, really and is that within the Fourteenth Amendment. No, no, no. I'll tell you, the Equal Rights Amendment is its own amendment, okay? Okay. So, because the 14th Amendment protects women on some level, but But it does not, it doesn't, it doesn't protect discrimination based upon sex Sex. from the state or our local, like from our, from laws, right? You cannot make a law to deny or abridge me um, because of my sex or identity, right? So it took 50 years all the way to the end of the civil rights movement, okay? Civil rights movement happened in the 60s, and then now it's, I think it was 1973, okay? Congress is like, okay, fine, we'll hear it. 
all right? After women have spent 50 years trying to get them to hear it, okay? So now we're in the second wave of feminism, okay? People of color have now um, finally gotten the opportunity to vote in this country, um, and that was 1965, right? So then all of a sudden, a few years later, Congress is like, we'll hear the ERA, because genuinely women of color will never have equality without the ERA. Because maybe the law can't make a law to discriminate against me because of the color of my skin, or you can't discriminate against me in a business legally because of the color of my skin, but you can legally, especially in a right to work state, um, because of my gender, right? And that's something that we need to address that affects all of us. Because remember, the patriarchy traps men in a box as well, okay? Yep. It exists and was created to keep half of the population down. Because remember, it's a lot easier to hold power in a country and it's a lot easier to conquer a country and maintain a government with half the population um, not allowed to work, vote, or have rights. You know, that's that's genuinely their perspective, right? When you're putting two um, genders in a box. But something to remember about the Equal Rights Amendment is we don't have it. We don't have it still. Congress was like, hey, you got five years to ratify it in 38 states, and then we'll put it in the Constitution. When they were going to pass it, but it took one woman saying, actually, um, we like our role working in the home and it's the seventies and God said that we belong in the home and we don't <laughs> want our daughters to be drafted and treated like men. So actually we don't want it. Um, and it literally that movement, there's a good show about it called Mrs. America on okay. Hulu, um, with Kate Blanchett and, okay. and Rose Byrne and Uzo Aduba from Orange is the New Black. Yeah. There's some great stars in it. Highly recommend. I really like that show. And it, it talks about the second wave of feminism, right? Which is the seventies yeah, where yeah. they tried to get the ERA first wave. It was written second wave. It was kind of brought up. And during that second wave, um, we got, I believe 35 states in that five years so it didn't get 38 states to ratify and the 38th state was virginia and they ratified the equal rights amendment in 2020 wow and there's a, they're all trying to contest it now wow. like all this bullshit but joe biden not only ran his campaign and has mentioned multiple times and like given out a statement um that he supports the era and there we should lift the deadline and it has been lifted okay we're waiting on a signature from the archivist um so we're genuinely almost there to have that equal rights amendment and we don't have it because of Capitalism, baby. Capitalism, baby. Capitalism. We could go about that, but it's relevant to our industry. <laughs> Capitalism is another story for another yeah, time. Yeah, that's a whole. That's a whole series. Um, <laughs> that would be a new series, no. Right, but it's important. Season two. It's, it's important be called to called Devon and Capitalism. <laughs> people would love to hear that. I know some people would just roll their eyes just hearing that, but like, I hate it. Um, but anyway, it's important to remember that this is relevant to our industry. It yeah, is relevant to 100%. our industry. Something that you've experienced. Yep. Something that lots of us experience because they should not be able to make a law. They should not be able to deregulate. They should not be able to change codes. They should not be able to do anything that takes away from our livelihood yep. because we are an industry made of women and is something that maybe possibly could help us and protect us. And we must advocate for because it's the right thing to do for us. And it's also the right thing to do for our clients. And it's the right thing to do for this nation. And there's absolutely no reason that we couldn't have it. And we're living right now in the third wave of feminism. Third time's a charm, baby. Okay. This is going to be the one. Oh, 
No, not even close. But it's important. It's important that we advocate for the ERA at this time. And the way that I got involved, and I'll never forget for as long as I live, is the state of Utah has never even let it come out of rules committee to be voted on. It's never even been voted on here. Like it won't, they won't even hear it. They won't even hear it. And Kathleen Reeby and some other legislators have um, put it forward every single year and they won't even hear it because we are the worst state for women. We are. And the Salt Lake Tribune puts a study every year about how we're 50th for rights for women in this whole country. And, and for the record, there's only 50 states. <laughs> for those that don't know. Right. And, and so that just goes <laughs> to show that our elected legislators, number one, aren't listening to our concerns as it relates to our own license and occupational trade, aren't listening to how we feel about equality, because the only way that we'll have equality really is when we uplift the people who are already marginalized. You know, that doesn't necessarily always apply to white women, especially working in the beauty industry. I'm very fortunate. You know, I am I am the majority of yes. the industry as a cis kind of straight white woman. <laughs> and we um, so I've, I've been given immense privilege and I'm incredibly lucky. And so that's why I feel so passionately about uplifting the other voices. Like Mikey and I, or, Mikey's a man and I'm a brown woman. Like, but, well, that, but like, I guess I didn't even think of it like that, but you know, but it's not about well, that. We've got all of our bases covered here. It, well, yeah. And it's about creating an organization that represents us all. And it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And the equal rights amendment would affect us all. It would affect Mikey. It would affect everybody here. You cannot make a law. You cannot discriminate against me because of my gender identity. This is relevant. This would be huge. And now we have a new layer. Now we have the LGBTQ community and the yeah. third wave of women, feminism. They were always there they were always there there. but But this time they can outwardly join our fight absolutely and this would be absolutely essential for the movement and something that we could also use to protect our our bodily autonomy as well so we could that's a whole other thing but um that i just wanted to talk about that and the the rights of women um because it's important and remember that um intersectional feminism is how we should identify because Feminism is too small of a box, okay? Because racism and sexism and homophobia and transphobia, all of those things that exist in our society are symptoms of capitalism. They are. When an elite when an, when an elite few have money to lobby, who are those elite few gonna be? You know? That's true. I never I, yeah, I never thought of it that way. Yeah, because capitalism consumerism. Yeah, you make me think too much. Oh. But I I want to I want to take the time to really thank Devin and um, you know if it wasn't for time constraints and all that like we have a meeting at two. Oh. Um, but it, it is it is an absolute pleasure to have Devin on the show, and uh, she'll definitely be back. And we're going to be working with them uh, more and more in the future. But um, yeah, thank you so much, Devin. And um, again, that website's utahbeautyproject.com. Yes, utahbeautyproject.com. Yeah, you can follow us on Instagram. Instagram too. Yep. Utah yes. Beauty Project. You Are can y'all on Facebook because I'm old. I'm a um, Facebooker. You know, we're all a little young, so maybe we, we, <laughs> that's something to help us with. Um, yeah, I'm old. I mean, I'm in that generation of I. We have a page. We have I'm a page. Um, we also have a Twitter. I'm posting on it, but we're gonna. I um, don't. 
do Twitter, that's too complicated. Oh, yes. <laughs> we have an email if you need us. What's your mailing address? Our mailing address. <laughs> P.O. Box. P.O. Box. Yeah. Owl delivery. Yeah. But, yeah, thanks for having me on the Send show. I think it, I had a good time just sitting down and talking about the industry. Yeah, for it's sure. my favorite thing to do. For sure. But um, we'll have you on again, and maybe we'll have, you know, uh, some other members of the Utah Beauty Project join us. Oh, so absolutely. we can have a big roundtable, uh, four-hour podcast, and, you know, just... And then Mikey can go through and edit it. Oh my God. All the bathroom breaks that we're going to have. Oh yes, of yeah. course. But yeah, no, thank you so much. And, of course. Um, yeah, we appreciate keep, you. Keep an eye out for doing. everything that, you know, Devin and the Utah Beauty Project is doing. Um, again, it's not a negative thing for the industry, what they're doing. It is absolutely a positive thing. Um, and yeah, that's it's pretty much. percent a benefit to. Huge, huge the benefit. Industry. So, um, yeah, I don't have anything else to say. Do you guys have anything else? No. Organize your workplaces, all right? You need some help, send us an email. (laughs) And what's your email? UtahBeautyProject at gmail.com. Simple, simple. All right, well, thank you again.